0: The Easter story we're sharing this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, the first 10 verses of that chapter. Hear these words. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has been raised as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee and there you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said greetings and they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God, amen. So the annual Reed family crawfish boil took place yesterday. And I confess, I don't eat boiled crawfish because I've done the scientific study and you burn more calories getting the crawfish out than you get with the crawfish. So I hang around and wait and, and today there will be a crawfish casserole and that is perfectly acceptable and enjoyable. I will eat my crawfish either fried in a bisque, an etouffee, or in Tamara's famous casserole. Do not invite me to a crawfish boil. But oddly enough, I have all the stuff. It's from years of the kids coming for the crawfish boil. I have the pot. I have the burner. I have the propane tanks. I have the boat ore and the stainless steel ore. I have the little scoopy thing. And then I have the, the big scoop. And I've just got everything you need. I've got tables. I've got chairs. I even have the sacred crawfish table. You know, the one with the big hole cut out in the middle that you put over a garbage can that's already lined so everybody just scoops their things in there. I had 32 ounces of cane sauce. Come to my house, it's really good. Everything you need for a crawfish boil. It was all brought out and I became aware of how much stuff I had as it was getting put back up. I got some crawfish stuff. The church has sort of been like that this last week. We got everything out. We pulled out communion at between 7 and 8 o'clock, five days this week. We had the Tenebrae service Friday night in the sanctuary, and it was, it was an amazing experience as we're reading about Christ going to the cross and dying on the cross. The sanctuary is getting ever more dark And the last words are spoken in total darkness. And there were some people that had to leave that service early because they became overwhelmed with the suffering of Jesus and the aloneness he must have felt in giving his life for our sinfulness. And then this morning, we've been in in just... High gear. We started at, at six thirty in the morning with the chapel service and we had Holy Communion and the service in the sanctuary. We had every brass instrument you can imagine and the timpani and the hallelujah chorus and now you with your bright and shining Easter faces filling this place. We pull it all out every year. And then we'll put it all away. We'll wait until next year. When we we hold this hope that we will proclaim he is risen, he is risen indeed. So this morning, I want to look at some of the, the elements of the story just briefly. I'm going to pull them all out for you and let you observe them with me. Then I'm going to put them back up and see what you do with them. Because you can't have Easter without the cross. You can't have Easter without the tomb. And you can't have Easter without that stone. The cross. The Romans had become proficient in crucifixion. It was a horrible way to die. And for some being crucified, it took days for them to die. It was an embarrassing way to die. It was meant to humiliate the one hanging there. And the Bible tells us that Jesus became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. So don't turn away from the cross too quickly. He died there for you and for me, for our sins. He died there to set us free. He died there to fix the estrangement we have with God. But you know, as I think about the cross, there's one fella that I really want to meet, and that's the guy hanging next to Jesus. You know, the one that said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said, This day you will be with me in paradise. I want to meet that guy in heaven. I'm going to hunt him down and look him up because I want to know about him. Because that fella reminds me of God's grace. Because he did absolutely no church thing. He didn't go to a worship service. He didn't go to Sunday school. He didn't come down and kneel at the altar when the evangelist gave the 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 invitation. He could not tell you about the doctrine of justification. He could not tell you about the authority of Scripture. He didn't know what communion was or baptism was or Wesleyanism was or Calvinism was. He didn't know a thing. He knew he was dying, and he knew he was afraid, and there was something either he had met previously or knew from what the crowds were saying. He knew this Jesus was a special guy, and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you're ever feeling estranged from God, if you're ever feeling lost, you need to remember the guy hanging next to Jesus on the cross. There was nothing he could do. There was no church thing he could do. There was no good works he could do. He was helpless. All he had was a prayer. And in the end, that's all it took. And I want to suggest to you that man hanging on the cross, that thief on the cross who's now walking the streets of heaven, knows more about grace than a thousand theologians and a million preachers because he experienced it. And I wonder sometimes if we hadn't made grace too hard. That's all you need is Jesus. Wait a minute, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. All you need is Jesus. I can't do anything in the church. All you need is Jesus. I may never come to church. All you need is Jesus. 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 One day I'll close my eyes here on Earth and I'll open them in eternity. And I don't know what the the cue is in heaven to get you in, but I've already got my answer prepared. DeGraff and Reed, what are you doing here? Jesus. He's my only hope. And that thief reminds me of that. After the cross, you have the tomb. That's where they put dead people. Jesus didn't swoon, Jesus didn't faint, Jesus was dead. And to prove he was dead, one of the Roman soldiers jabbed a javelin through his heart. He was dead. And they laid him in a borrowed tomb. He didn't stay there long. And you and I as members of the church Come each and every Easter, we come with that question that Paul Tillich, the great theologian, said that the church comes from and comes to every Easter asking the question is it true? Is it still true? It's still true. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. Still true. People say, Can you prove it's true? Absolutely, I can prove it's true. The existence of the church proves the tomb was empty. Those first disciples wouldn't have given up their lives for a lie. Those first disciples wouldn't have died for a hallucination. Those first disciples would not have become bold witnesses against Jews and the Roman authorities for what was a hallucination. No, what changed the first century disciples was the news that the tomb was empty Because Christ is risen. You couldn't know about the empty tomb had you not had the stone rolled away. And Matthew's the one that explains that. Matthew explains that the Jews went to Pilate and said, look, you need to post guards there because those disciples of Jesus may just steal his body and claim he's resurrected. So Pilate put Roman soldiers at the tomb and there's an earthquake because the angel of the Lord, we're told, descends from heaven and he comes and rolls back the stone and he sat on it. I've got I to scare the Roman soldiers before I get to this. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. So whatever, uh, the, the angel frightened the Romans away. They're a non-entity. And there's the angel of the Lord. you got to see him sitting on the stone. He's got this cocky look on his face, and he's grinning. And he says, fear not. This is the same angel that's back in the birth narratives, this is the angel going around telling Joseph, don't be afraid, man. Don't be afraid. You need to take Mary as your wife because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's the same angel telling Mary, you found favor with God, and look, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And Mary says, wait a minute, not married. And the angel said, that's cool. The Holy Spirit's going to come over you. It's the same angel that tells the shepherds, you need to go in and see the baby. Fear not, people, fear not, fear not. And all the time, the angel's winking. 365 times the phrase, be not afraid or fear not, appears in Scripture. 365 times, that's one a day. I'm gonna let you hunt them all down. The Bible says the opposite of faith is fear. And the Bible tells us, don't be afraid. And the angel's sitting there. He's just petrified a couple of Roman soldiers. He just moved the rock out of the way and he's he's winking and grinning. Arms folded, legs crossed and said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You go home today after church this afternoon after you've done your deep meditation, maybe watch the master's. See who wins. And you just pull up your favorite homepage web browser thingy. And you look at all the reasons you ought to be afraid. Because that's how they're written. You need to be afraid. News is not news anymore. It's become prediction. They won't tell you what happened. They will tell you what they think is going to happen based on what just happened. And nobody holds them accountable. And people are just walking around trembling, worried about the economy, worried about the climate. They're they're worried worried when they're not worried. The angel says, fear not. Come and look. So they poke their heads in the empty tomb and they go quickly to tell his disciples. And here's what verse 8 says. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. They left with fear and great joy. Well, now, wait a minute. Those things are traveling together. How can fear and great joy travel together? And my thesis is we preachers have... How do I want to say this? We have taken the teeth out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have have created the pacification of the discombobulation induced by a living God. Our sermons are the pacification of the discombobulation induced by a living God. There is a force, there is a power, there is a person walking our planet who sets the dead free who forgives sin, who tells you you don't have anything to worry about because you're an eternal being. You're going to live forever. Now, you may not get forever here, but you're going to live forever. Claim your eternal life and live as people of eternity. Live as Easter people. Live as people of the empty tomb and the risen Christ. Oh, but there's so much to worry about. Yeah, there is. That's the fear part. But the Bible says they went away with fear and great joy. Have you gotten the joy part? Are you living out of joy? That your sin's forgiven? You have a second chance at life? That the one who raised Christ from the dead is dwelling within you? Do you have that balance? No. So people descended yesterday for the annual crawfish boil. They came from great distances. We're still taking roll, trying to figure out who some of those people were. My folks know them. Solo and I, my grandson, people started arriving and Solo and I did the same thing. We both went in the house as far away from people as we can go because that's how an introvert does a crawfish boil. And I sat in the sacred seat with the sacred remote control and started flipping. What's on Saturday? I don't like the XFL. That's a weird kickoff they do. Flip, flip, flip. History Channel, the Bible. That was what was on. History Channel, the Bible. And I thought, well, I can call it sermon research. I'm just going to sit here and watch the Bible story. And I was trying to figure out how to talk to you about joy and fear traveling together that the ladies had. And there was a scene in there where they're recreating the parting of the Red Sea. You know, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And after 10 plagues, finally, Pharaoh lets the people go. And and they get to the end, the edge of the Red Sea. And Moses does his staff thing and the water parts. And the Hebrew language says that the Hebrews or the Jews walked across on the Eretz. They walked across on the dry land. Walls of water on either side. That caused me a little bit of fear. Fear. But I've got great joy because God has set me free from Pharaoh. I'm no longer a slave. I have been freed. I have been promised the land to live in. I'm going with my people. We've got all our goodies. We even took some of Pharaoh's goodies as we were leaving because they just wanted us out of the land. So we've got riches. We've got hope. We've got a leader. This is great. And you can see the joy on their faces. They're walking across the Red Sea. But you can also see the fear Because behind them, the Egyptian army. And you wonder, are they going to make it? And you know what happens. They get across to the other side, and the waters come down and drown the Egyptian army. God took care of them, but for a moment, the Hebrews were living with that great anxiety. What's going to happen? That's fear and great joy simultaneously. I've given my life to Jesus Christ, but you're living with your eyes looking in the rearview mirror wondering what's going to catch up to you. You're living with your life given to Jesus Christ, but you're looking to the future wondering, is it really going to work out well for me? You have great joy because Christ has overwhelmed you with his love and goodness, but still you have the cares of the world. That's fear and great joy. So, Simon Peter's part of the Tenebrae service. He's part of the resurrection story because the angels tell the ladies in one account go tell his disciples and Peter that he's risen. And Simon Peter is there the first night in the upper room when Jesus appears to the 12. He's there a week later when Jesus appears again to the 12, and this time to Thomas. He's there in the 21st chapter of John's Gospel where it says they were all out by the Sea of Tiberias and Jesus appeared to them again. Simon Peter is there. He has experienced the resurrection. He has experienced the presence of the risen Christ. He's seen Thomas's doubt converted into faith, but Simon Peter, although he has great joy, is still afraid because of that denial thing. And Peter's seen all this go on in the 21st chapter of John's Gospel. Peter has seen it all, he's processed it all, and he stands up and says, boys, I'm going fishing. And the fishermen say, That's a great idea, Simon Peter. We're going to get in the boat and we're going to go with you. So Peter and the boys are fishing. They fish all night and they catch nothing. Nothing. Nothing more grouchier than a fisherman who's fished all night and caught nothing. In the morning, the sun's coming up and there's a figure walking on the shore. And it could be Jesus, it may be somebody else, they're not sure. The figure calls to them, hey, you caught anything? And they give the proper answer, no. He says, throw your net in deep water. And they go, huh, really? We know about being a fisherman, you don't. But anyway, they throw their net in deep water and they catch this whole passel of fish. And it's starting to dawn on them who it is. He invites them ashore and he's cooking breakfast for them. That gives me great hope. The resurrected Jesus is cooking breakfast. That means we're gonna eat in heaven. Thanks for listening thank to the God. podcast. To find out more, calories trinity, don't count in eternal life. You don't have to worry about all know, the stuff you can't eat down here. And Peter's got great joy, but he's afraid because he knows what he's done. And Jesus says to Peter, let's let's walk down the beach. Peter thinks, here it comes. And three times Jesus asked Simon Peter the same question. Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter equivocates, Jesus will use the high verb for love, agape, and Peter will answer, phileo, we are friends, Lord. And this tete-a-tete goes on because Peter knows that Jesus knows. Three times Jesus asks, and three times Simon Peter affirms he loves him, and three times Christ tells him, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, care for my flock. Sometimes we leave these Easter services with joy and with fear. Our joy is in the risen Christ. Our fear is in how we've lived in relationship to that. And I want to leave you I want to leave you with the pacification of the discombobulation that an incarnate God causes in our lives. Jesus will turn your life upside down. And that's okay. Because he loves you. And he wants you to experience that love and grace. He's risen. He's risen indeed. He's risen so he can live in your heart, dwell in your life, and lead you through this life into the place in eternity where we'll all finally be home. Would you stand and pray with me? We thank you, O oh Lord, for the ancient news that he's not here for he is risen And we, like his disciples, hear that news in different ways. Some of us believe. Some of us are like Thomas and have to be shown. Some of us are like Simon Peter and need to be healed. Help us, however we are, to hear that news and to live boldly and completely as Easter people. In Jesus' name, amen.